0: This is the Sons of UCF, the number one place for UCF sports, with your distinguished host, Adam.
1: You called somebody Cheetos. <laughs> who, Who is Cheetos? And Mike. I don't like going to petting zoos. Now, here are the guys. All right, back here, Sons of UCF, we have a special uh, edition of the show this week, um, and Happy to be joined by, this is becoming a regular occurrence for us, which is awesome because the individual that we're talking to today is the preeminent um, uh, preeminent person in the media with uh, previews of college football, and uh, he's gracious enough to make some time for us again this year. Uh, millions of people leverage his information as they prepare for college football, and I'm excited to talk to him today about some UCFs and Big 12s. So Phil Steele is with us uh, again this year. Phil, first off, thanks so much for always making time for us here at the Sons of UCF.
0: Hey, a real pleasure, Adam. Always enjoy our conversations.
1: Well, let, let's start big picture here, and, and we'll, we'll dive into some details. When, when you sat down and you sort of began your analysis of UCF, what, what did you see right off the bat that you liked? What are some good things that you saw as you looked at 2022 and then and then looking and, and forecasting into 2023? What did, what did you like about what you saw?
0: Well, I think what uh, jumped out to me was probably the talent that they have on on the offensive side of the ball, a guy like John Rice Plumley coming back. Uh, Maybe a little bit better uh, in the backup quarterback position, bringing in a Timmy McLean from USF. Uh, You look at the running back core, uh, Harvey, Richardson, McDonald, uh, clearly one of the strengths in the team. The receiving core, uh, there's a lot of veteran guys there. They've got four guys uh, that could play in the slot. So, I mean, it's a deep unit. Uh, Probably the thing that probably I would say jumped out at me would be the overall depth that they have across each position on the offense. In fact, all all four offensive positions uh, rank in my top units in front of the magazine.
1: Well, let's look flip side. Was there anything that jumped out that maybe uh, kind of flagged as a concern for you uh, when you looked at the Knights?
0: Um, You know, I think of the four teams that are going from uh, entering the Big 12 this year, they clearly are the best of the four teams and the one that had the fewest amount of question marks. You know, even uh, there, you look at them uh, up front in the, or, or I should say, in the back, the, backs, the secondary. If you look at the secondary this year, they lose some key pieces from last year. But I like the transfers that were brought in. Uh, DeCorey Patterson from Middle Tennessee. Jariah uh, Wilson coming in from East Carolina. They bring in Mask from uh, Texas State. Fred Davis from Clemson. I think the transfers should help them move up in the PDR. That probably was my biggest concern starting the magazine process. Was the secondary, but actually, when I finished and after talking to Coach Melzahn, I had the DBs ranked number forty in the country.
1: You mentioned John Rice Plumley for for a second. He, he's you know a bit of a lightning rod for UCF fans. Obviously, a dynamic athlete uh, makes a ton of plays on the ground, but wasn't able to stay healthy a, a few times last year. Phil got 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 dinged up and missed a couple of games. Uh, his first year playing quarterback in a long time. What do you what do you think is the uh, uh, a reasonable expectation for for the season for John Rice Plumlee. What do you want to see him do maybe to improve on what he did in 2022?
0: Uh, and, and I think he will clearly improve. He should be a, a more accurate quarterback, improve upon the ratio. Last year, 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's not great. Uh, I would expect that to vastly improve. As you pointed out, he hadn't played quarterback since 2019. He was more of a receiver. Uh, and, uh, you know, taking his first snaps under center last year, getting injury-prone as he was, uh, he's got to stay healthier. That would be one big thing. And uh, I think he is he's going to be more focused on throwing the football downfield. I think we're going to see a big jump in that touchdown total this year uh, going from 14. And uh, he's a guy that's really bought into the offense. And uh, I've seen a lot of improvement with quarterbacks year two, and I would consider this year two for him in this offensive system.
1: You mentioned you had a chance to to talk to Gus Malzahn, and and one of the things that Gus is doing this year um, that he hasn't done in a long time, he's giving up play calling duties. New offensive coordinator Darren Hinshaw is going to call plays. As a a quarterback, how how different do you think that'll be for John Rice? As an offense, do you you think and do you project and talking to Gus that you'll see a much different UCF offense than maybe we saw last year when, when he was calling plays?
0: No, I think it'll be a very similar offense to uh, what Gus was calling last year. And, uh, you know, he's just doing that to leave himself some of the thing. A lot of head coaches are giving up their, you know, the ones that were calling plays in either offense or defense, giving that up this year with the NIL and the transfer portal and all the business they have to do off the field this year. So I think it'll be a pretty seamless transition. I don't think you're going to see a major change on the offense, uh, especially with the amount of talent they have coming back. Uh, you'd almost rather have the coordinator change the, his verbiage than having each of the players learn different verbiage.
1: Well, it's, it's something unique. We'll, we'll, I'll get into defense here now, but something unique about UCF I'd love your take on. Uh, so Darren Hinshaw, new coordinator on the offensive side of the ball. He's had experience calling offense before at Kentucky and UAB and Cincinnati in the past. On the defensive side of the ball, new defensive coordinator Addison Williams, first-time defensive coordinator at this level. Phil, um, how, how big a deal is that to kind of break into new coordinators uh, for this team right now, particularly as they move into the Big 12? How much change and, and how big a deal do you think that is from a, from a player standpoint?
0: Yeah, stability-wise, you'd like to have it uh, where you've got the uh, exact same systems in place, the exact same guys calling the play. So that it is going to be a bit of a change. And especially, you know, when you look at the fact that uh, UCF's got to prepare for a whole bunch of offenses and defenses that – they have not played before, so I think that's going to make it interesting this year and probably a little bit of my concern. Maybe one of the reasons I picked UCF more towards the middle of the pack in the Big 12 this year rather than towards the top might have been that year, those changes.
1: Well, let's stay on the defensive side for a second. As you, as you you, know, put on the film and did your analysis, what are some names that stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball for UCF?
0: Well, uh there's a bunch of guys on the defense that I like. You look at Celazar uh, up front, uh you know, off the defensive end spot, uh he's a guy that uh, I think is going to be more productive sack-wise this year but gives you good strength at the defensive end spot can hold the point. Uh you look at Ricky Barber, a guy that uh, could be a, one of those elite talented players. He was my first team all conference last year and I think he's set in poise for an even bigger year this year. Uh, Traymon Morris Brash is a guy who's the best pass rusher on the team. He's a special talent, can get after the quarterback. And I'm looking for a, a, a large jump this year after having six sacks last year, five the year before. I think he can possibly get towards double-digit sacks. You look at that linebacking core. Jason Johnson's a guy that uh, you know came over from Eastern Illinois last year and had great success, uh, 128 tackles. And here's the thing I found, uh, Adam. When I was going through the coaches, and I talked to 123 of the 133 head coaches, and it seemed like by coach number five, I was picking up on this theme that, hey, that's another FCS kid that came in and did well, started asking the coaches early on reasons why, and then was pretty much unanimous. Uh, you know, they were probably under recruited out of high school, have grown uh and they were they had experience playing at their previous school, come in with a chip on their shoulder, and they're happy to be there and That's what we saw to Jason Johnson last year, and I think he's got n f l talent ryan Davis is another guy coming in from Georgia that I feel is n f l talent he's six two two hundred and thirty pounds. They have such a deep defense on Georgia they play three deep, it's tough to get a lot of action. I think he's going to step in here and be a star in his first year. I talked about Patterson earlier. I like Brandon Adams uh, coming in a cornerback. He's 6'3". I love six with three cornerbacks that can match up against those big wide receivers. So those are probably the top names to throw out on the defensive side of the ball and what looks like a pretty good unit.
1: Yeah, when you talk to Coach Malzahn, did you get a sense for what the style of this defense will be if, you know, there'll be more of an attacking blitzing style? I think towards the end of last season under um, now Arkansas defensive coordinator Travis Williams, UCF was a little softer in coverage and relied heavily on the blitz. Did you get any sense from Coach Malzahn on, on sort of what style and what what sort of mentality he wants this defense to take?
0: Yeah. Uh- Adam, have you ever talked to a defensive coordinator or a defensive person that didn't say we're going to attacking defense? You know, we're an attacking aggressive defense. Everybody says that. Any, any, and I, I get a kick out of it. Every new defensive coordinator that's hired, the, the writer says, "Oh, this guy's going to have run an attacking aggressive defense." So, uh, have you ever talked to a head coach or a defense coordinator that doesn't say they're going to run an attacking aggressive defense? I have
1: not. No, that's that's never
0: happened. <laughs> But I'll tell you this, talking to Coach Melzahn, and the one thing that jumped out at me uh, going over the conversation, I'm like, well, you're going up to the Big 12. He's like, Phil, we've been preparing to go for the Big 12 for two years now. We're ready. And here's a guy that's coaching the SEC, so he would know if they're going to be ready. Uh, to take on the P5, That's, that was probably the biggest thing I took out of my uh, long conversation with each of the coaches I spent about an hour on the phone with. And that would probably be the main words that I took out of that conversation, despite going over each of the talent and you know picking up on all the players, was the fact he feels pretty good about uh, the fact they're well-prepared to enter the Big 12.
1: Well, let's talk about that, Phil. How big a move is this? I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, right, where a quote-unquote group of five school moves up. How big a move, what does UCF have to prepare for now as a member of the Big 12 that maybe is going to be different from their time in the American Conference?
0: You know, the biggest thing is the depth. Uh, You know, when UCF was in the American Conference, you had maybe four, maybe five big, big, big games during the course of the year. Now that's going to be eight or nine games against power teams Uh, during the course of the year so you have to have better depth and going over the roster especially on the offensive side I like the depth there there is the depth on the offense to make the move up so I I do think this is a team that's poised to do well in the transition and clearly like I said out of the four teams joining the Big 12 I mean it wasn't even close it wasn't like okay is this team one or two no is UCF is number one the other three are lumped in uh,
1: towards the bottom all right. well, UCF fans have this interesting conversation going on right now. Year one in the Big 12. In your view, Phil, what's a reasonable expectation for the Knights? If that's just in terms of how they play or record, what's a reasonable view for you? If you look back on this on this team next year and say, hey, UCF did blank in 2023 in the Big 12, what what will be that thing that you go, okay, yeah, that was a good season for year one in the Big 12?
0: Uh. I would say uh, getting the seven or eight wins would be good, and it wouldn't surprise me if they could even uh, achieve over that. But I think seven to eight wins would be considered a good year for UCF moving in. And, you know, the one thing about Big 12 football, uh, Adam, is uh, like this year, I, I do the magazine in a 3 right through process. The 1st right write-through I finish, um, it's what I call my postseason right through where I've just watched every game during the course of the year. i got 12 TVs in front of me. I read through every article that's written about the team through the course of the year, learn to get all the ebbs and flows uh, of each position. And then I write it and I say, what kind of shape was this unit coming into last year? What happened? What kind of shape are they heading into this year? And then I sort of did a pre-conference look ahead. And there's 10 conferences out there. I was pretty comfortable with who's at the top and who's at the bottom in nine of the 10 conferences. The only one that... I sort of crinkled up the paper numerous times and threw it in the trash, was the Big 12. And look at how the Big 12's done in the last couple of years. I mean, Baylor came out of nowhere to win the Big 12 two years ago. And last year, of course, everybody expected TCU to be playing in the national championship game, uh, even though they were picked number eight in the Big 12 poll. So I think the Big 12 top to bottom is one of those where you can make a major move or a major drop in a year due to the amount of parity in the league.
1: Yeah, let's talk schedule for a second. Obviously, UCF um, drew kind of the, the, the short end of the stick this year—the uh, five road games, four home games—as part of the nine-nine um, nine conference game split. Is there a game on the schedule, Phil, that you kind of circle and say, "Hey, this is this is a tricky one for UCF. This is a team that you know maybe causes uh, causes some issues and um, or causes problems." Is there, is there a tricky game that you uh, you see on the UCF schedule?
0: Yeah, first of all, I like the fact they avoid Texas and TCU. That's a really nice plus on the the UCF schedule this year. But as far as the tricky games go, I'm going to throw out two road games, which I sort of had question marks on. They're two teams I expect UCF to finish above, but they're going to have to go on the road and get these wins. Uh, and the first one would be Kansas. Uh, and, you know, every year, Adam, for the last 10 years, I've picked Kansas last in the Big 12. And when I talked to Coach Leipold, I told him. Coach, you're making this difficult on me. I can't just pick Kansas last anymore and move on with the rest of my Big 12 forecast. And he did not. He said he's not going to apologize for that. So that's a very dangerous game, a winnable game, I feel for UCF, but they are going to have to take care of business on the road. And then the other one is Cincinnati. And once again, I've picked Cincinnati towards the bottom, but as you know, uh, UCF playing Cincinnati all these years—that's that's always a tough contest, one that uh, Cincinnati will be well prepared for, and it's in. Ohio in November. I live in Ohio, so I know what the weather can be like in November. And uh, that that would probably make that one a little bit tricky if all of a sudden a blizzard rolls in on November the 4th.
1: How important is it for UCF, uh, Phil, in your opinion, to have a guy like Gus Malzahn as their head coach? You mentioned earlier, he's been in the SEC. He knows what it looks like. You you look at some of the other schools that are coming into the Big 12, and and while they certainly have some really reputable coaches, it feels like UCF has a bit of a, a leg up there, right? having Gus Malzahn. How important do you think that is as they make this transition and go through this gauntlet of a schedule to have a coach like Gus Malzahn who's been through some of this stuff before based on his past experience?
0: Yeah, I think it's huge. And and like I said, talking to Malzahn, the, the big thing that came out of uh, what I took from the conversation was he said, you know what, we've been preparing for this move for the Big 12 for two years. So I I don't know if, you know, uh, Satake told me the same thing at, at BYU that they've been preparing for it and that he was at Utah when they made the transition to the Pac-12. But, of course, they struggled there. Neil Brown and uh, Dana Hogerson, a couple of guys that uh, – I'm mean, excuse me, Dana Holgerson from Houston making the transition. He's been there. He's actually been in the Big 12 before. And then Scott Satterfield is in his first year. I think that's going to be tough for Cincinnati. But having having Malls on there with the SEC experience, I think is a big big plus.
1: Let's turn our attention now quickly to the to the Big 12. Uh, you mentioned obviously your rankings. I think a lot of the a lot of the early conversation is is Texas, Oklahoma, or sort of one two, if you will, kind of those top two. Um, you know, from uh, from a record standpoint. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you align with Texas-Oklahoma sort of being the the top two right now as you look at the Big 12?
0: Yeah, those are the two I picked at the top uh, due to the talent and the schedule that each of them have. And i got to be honest with you, Adam, when I started the whole magazine process, I said, you know what? I am not picking Texas to win the Big 12 this year. Everybody's going to be gunning for them. I don't want to pick Oklahoma. Everybody's going to be gunning for them. Last year, leaving the conference, they're going to have everybody's gay game. And then, boom, the end of the process, who do I have up there? And the reason I have Texas is the overall talent. In fact, if you look on page 138 of the magazine, I rank each of the units. Uh, and the Texas is either number one or tied for number one in talent in all eight unit categories. So they are the most talented team coming into the year. Now, Sarkeesian's never had more than, I think, a nine-win season, but they're going to be favored in 11 games. I like Quinn Ewers. I like the overall talent. They have a receiver. All five offensive linemen are back. Jalen Ford's back on defense, and they had a really good defense last year. Uh, so I think Texas is is the most talented team in the Big 12. And with Oklahoma, you know, it's the second year for Brett Venables. Uh, his defense is rather complex, so I think we're going to see that natural uh, improvement with the players now knowing the system. Plus, he brought in a ton of transfers. Rondell Boisroyd coming in from uh, well, Wake Forest. Jacob Lacey coming in from Notre Dame. Desai McCullough coming in from Indiana. These are some big-time players. Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech. The defense will be improved offensively. They need to keep Dylan Gabriel healthy. But, you know, uh, Vegas right now has Oklahoma favored in 11 of their 12 games, if you go to Vegas. So they really have the schedule laid out well. Uh, They avoid some of the key teams in the Big 12 like Kansas State and Baylor. So uh, I think those two teams do belong at the top.
1: You mentioned this earlier. Obviously the Big Twelve has been a conference of parity the last couple of seasons. And you know, it feels like most people are saying Texas, Oklahoma are those those top two spots, right? And then there's kind of a cluster of teams in the middle that are all kind of closely aligned. If you had to look at like that, that second tier, I guess I'll call it, Phil, that 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 cluster is there a team that you would keep an eye on and say, Hey, this is a team that may be able to break out and and have a a TCU or a Baylor type of season. What's kind of that sleeper team that you're really watching in that, in that big cluster to, to, to think maybe has an opportunity to to be playing for a championship.
0: Well, Kansas state, I think is going to be everybody's pick for uh, either contending for the big 12 title or being number three. And uh, I think they deserve to be up there. So I won't put them quite into that mix, but, uh, you know, when I talk to Coach Sonny Dykes, the interesting thing going through at TCU is when we would get to the end of each position, he's like, you know, Phil, I think we're actually a little bit more talented at this position than we were last year. Now, granted, TCU caught a lot of breaks last year. Remember all those fourth quarter comebacks and all those miracles? Can they repeat that? But Chandler Morris did beat out Max D- Dugganet for the starting quarterback job last year, and he's back and healthy. So I think TCU is going to uh, surprise again this year. Baylor, Dave Aranda. You know two years ago they were the big twelve champs, and last year uh, he felt the team didn't have that same amount of confidence in the second half of the year. They're a very dangerous team. Texas Tech has got what fifteen super seniors on the team uh, they're a team where my power ratings have anywhere from three and nine to eleven and one or I mean five and seven to eleven and one so that's a team that uh, could surprise and schedule wise. Watch Oklahoma State. They've got like a dream schedule, unlike Texas, which has a brutal schedule. In fact, Texas plays each of the other top six teams in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma State actually plays six teams this year that were not in the Power Five last year. Uh, They avoid Texas, TCU, and Baylor. Mike Gundy had this team number nine in the country uh, heading into November last year, and then the wheels fell off. I think they could be a surprise team based on their schedule so probably if I'm looking for a deep sleeper, somebody that the, the media picked low, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State is because of the schedule.
1: Would you give UCF a, a puncher's chance in, in that conversation? At all?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We talked about that earlier. That's so why I didn't bring them up. But they're number nine on my experience chart. And if any of the new four teams are going to contend for the Big 12, UCF's my team.
1: All right, Phil, I'll get you out of here on this last one. Finish this sentence for me. If UCF struggles in this, uh, this first season in the Big 12, it'll be because of blank.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with quarterback injuries. Hmm. Uh, we saw last year what happened when John Rice Plumley went down. If Timmy McClain can't step in and do well, uh, remember the championship game last year against Tulane when uh, you know they were down to basically their third string quarterback for that one? Uh, they've got to keep John Rice Plumley healthy and or get good production from Timmy McClain as the backup.
1: Yeah, Earlier, you you said you like Timmy McClain maybe even a little bit more than last year's backup, Mikey Keene. What do you like about uh, – I know Timmy played a little bit in his first year at uh, at South Florida. Uh, what do you like about Timmy McClain that you've seen so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a mobile quarterback like John Rice Plumlee is. Uh, he's 6'1", 196, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, when I went over uh, his attributes at uh, with at UCF – they were very high on him. He's a guy that showed a lot of improvement after starting nine games uh, as a freshman that first year, as a true freshman, sort of getting thrown into the fire. Uh, and he's a guy that, that's, that I think can is show the improvement you would expect from a quarterback that now is a, a redshirt sophomore.
1: Again, Phil, for, for those who haven't had a chance to pick up your magazine yet, where, where, can, where can they find uh, your work? Where can people kind of follow along and, uh, and, and get smarter about college football?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, Adam. Uh Now, unlike past years where you could go to Walmart or any grocery store out there and pick up the magazine, this year we're exclusively at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So those are the only two brick-and-mortar stores that you can get the magazine. That's Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Now, you can also go online to philsteel.com and get the magazine. And I'm going to charge you a shipping charge. It costs to ship things. However, when you order the hard copy through philsteel.com, we give you the digital magazine absolutely free. And the digital magazine's actually updated all the way through September. So as an example, we've got David Braun as the head coach for Northwestern, not Pat Fitzgerald. Everything updated, we circle players that are out for the year and any way that's been added to the team. So Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, or PhilSteel.com. And, and by the way, got a lot of great blogs going up each and every day at PhilSteel.com. Make sure you check them out.
1: Have you already started on the 24 Magazine?
0: <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> we're actually getting some pages ready for it. But uh, we actually start full bore uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So once some team seasons are complete – we begin writing the magazine. It's a seven-month process to get this thing out.
1: Well, again, uh, every college football fan out there needs to have a copy of this in their life. You'll you'll, you'll get quickly educated on everything going on as you, with your team, with your rival's team, with teams in your conference. It is a must-read for everybody. Phil Still, thanks again for taking the time. Always appreciate you dropping on and talking some UCF football with us. Yeah,
0: hey, a lot of fun talking football with you, as always, Adam. Thanks, thanks again, my friend. Podcast Network.